What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm sorry it's been so long since I've done one. Uh, we were on a roll there for a while, putting out new episodes every week. But uh, that can become incredibly taxing. Uh, I've been working really hard on some upcoming art shows that I will tell you about. Um, uh, first, let's. Uh, I got uh, Jason Yeagle on the show today. We've been uh, we've been going back and forth for a couple weeks trying to get him on the show, and I've been so busy with all the nonsense that I've been getting into um, that we finally figured it out, and we could put out a new show for you. Um, I know it's been a long time. Thanks for everybody who's been sending messages and breaking my balls to do a new episode. Uh, it just had to happen naturally. Um, still going to do the show. Don't worry. Thanks for the people who also donated while the show was not going on kind of funny um but real quick for me i have my solo show coming up uh june 7th at the nowheresville gallery in san francisco that's the space that uh artist paul urich runs uh you can go to their website nwvsf.com uh, my show is going to be called the span of my attention and i got a bunch of different shit to put in there so i got a bunch of new paintings that i will be showcasing and i will be in the city so I look forward to seeing all you pretty San Francisco people. Uh, it's been, I think, four years since I've last shown uh, artwork there. So I'm excited to come back and do it again. Um, I also have a couple group shows coming up. Uh, one at White Walls. That it was actually the the gallery uh, was supposed to be uh, a space in Portland. Um, unfortunately, they had to close uh, temporarily, so um, the show got moved to White Walls in San Francisco. Uh, Sven Davis, uh, artist cur uh, curator extraordinaire, put together a, a massive group show with some really amazing artists. Um, you could check out whitewallssf.com for more info on that, and just check the Space Squared hashtag on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and you'll see... All the cool artists doing cool shit for that show. That's May 10th. Uh, if you're in San Francisco, go check that out for sure. And I'm also doing a show that Johnny Command Z Rodriguez curated at the Pomona um, DA Center for the Arts. It's a one-of-one -one toy show. And for anyone who's listened to the show, you'll know I've been semi-outspoken about uh, vinyl toys and my dislike for for some things that uh, end up in art culture. But so I've I've painted on gourds for you know six five or six years. I haven't done one in a long time, and Johnny suggested maybe I should do some. So I'm I'm doing that. If you go on my Facebook or Instagram, you'll see some video and some photos of uh, that project going on. So check that out. Uh, shout out to producer Lex. He's not here with us today. Um, this was kind of, we figured this out this morning that we were going to be able to do this. So, uh, anything else? Let's see. Go make sure you, uh, follow the podcast. All those things that I always say, if you want to donate to the podcast, make the podcast viable in a financial way. Uh, you could do that. Uh, the link is on mikemaxwellart.com. Just click on the podcast and all the information about all the guests, the shit we talk about, the links to Twitter, the links to Facebook, the links to PayPal. If you want to drop a, a nick, drop a dime, you can do that. So go over there, MikeMaxWater.com, get the info. I need to update that fucking website. If it doesn't work on your new iPhones, I apologize. That thing's going to get updated. Uh, I know that I don't even have, I don't even know if I have 2013 work up there. Anyway, that needs to happen. So, um... With all that said, let's just jump right into this thing and give Jason a call. Jason Yeagle. Hello, sir. What's up, brother? Did I did I pronounce your name properly? Jason Yeagle. Yes. <laughs> it's so difficult, man. It's kind of like an ongoing running like joke on the show that I can't pronounce any of the guests who have, who I have on. They're, yeah. Artists, for some reason, have the most unique names. But, you know, last name. So I guess uh, uh, Swedish, Scandinavian. Uh, for me, German. German, okay. Yeah. It's I, all kind I mean, of German origin, whatever. It's, yeah. Um, my dad's father. 
um, his family, his father's parents came from Germany. Okay. Where, uh, uh, where you grew up, uh, on the East coast. Yeah. I grew up in Boston. Yeah. How was that? Uh, Boston's a great place. I like that city a lot. Did, uh, did you come from creative, uh, parents? Did you have some creative influence early on? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I come from like a whole crazy family, like both sides of my family. There's all kinds of, um, you know, uh, creative professions and things like that. Uh-huh. Writers and, and artists and musicians and, and things like that. Um, both think, sides of my family. Do you think that happens often? I try to kind of see if that, like I always test the line to see how that goes with artists, like whether there's like some sort of inherited traits along the way that, that sort of push people into a creative path or if it's just like a learned behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, I definitely am always impressed when I, when I sort of hear about or, or meet people who are artists who came to it kind of late uh-huh. and they made this, yeah, I mean, it can happen in all kinds of different scenarios, but they, they come to this idea of, of being an artist. They make this big decision to be an artist. And that's, that's kind of impressive to me. Um, you know, I think for some people it helps when, um, you have supportive parents, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, in lots of other cases like Michel Gondry, you know, he, I heard him say something once about how like he just had no supervision, <laughs> yeah, no structure. So he was allowed to turn his whole house into, you know, this fantasy realm and never have to take it down. Never be told, you got to take this down, honey. It's time yeah. for dinner. That I talk um, about that a lot, like uh, sort of the idea that the artists, maybe if they grow up in an environment where they have very little control over the situation that they're in, a lot of times having this ability to create a certain world or like uh, environment of your own gives you some sense of control and maybe like some, some like a sense of calmness, you know, like kind of relax you from that stress of being in a sort of disorganized, uh, you know, environment. I know for some people growing up, it's like that. Not everybody, obviously. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know for me, I, uh, art is, um, you know, it's kind of, it's something that I've just done all my life. I've always been this drawer kid and whatnot. And, um, you know, I was that sort of like kid in my class growing up all the time who just drew and my brother drew. Um, and, you know, I was just telling a friend of ours the other day, I was drawing with my friend's kids and um, t- saying to my buddy that, that, you know, my brother and I used to hang out with our friends and, and we would draw and our friends would watch us draw. Uh-huh. And then they would draw too, you know, and they'd be like learning from us as we drew. And, you know, here I am like drawing like a tattoo rose for my friend's eight-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, oh, here's how, and it's kind of cool, like, you break it down. You're like, you do this weird little funky spiral and then you do this little loopy thing. And you know, it's all just this kind of like formulaic stuff. And I can remember my friend Zach growing up, you know, just studying the way that I drew feet, for example. Right. You know, so that's, that's, that's kind of, for me, it's art is sort of just part of, part of how I, how I function. Yeah. And then, um, it's also certainly like a coping mechanism for me. Sure. You know, it's like I, I growing up the way that I did, I was in my own head 99% of the time, I think. Um, and it's it's like, a, um, you know, it's a, it's certainly like a place of um, safety, basically, you know, like, I, that's something I want to <laughs> ask you about the art, too. Like when we get into like the 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 work that you're making, but I kind of I want to I want to make sure we lead up to there. Um, so as like a teenager, were were you sort of ambitious enough to foresee an art career in your path? Um, I, I, you and I have never met. This is the first time we've met, and yeah. I, I know I've seen your work for a long time, and I hate to say that I, I feel like I found your work via your commercial stuff, like st- like design, which I'm sure is probably like a common theme for you, and maybe you hear it, um, a- a- aka Doom. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, it's such a huge project, I'm sure. But, you know, so I, I feel like I probably found out about your work via that route and then, you know, found, but that that might not be true. 
I I feel like I was seeing your stuff late 90s, early 2000. Is that? Mm -hmm. I feel like I was seeing stuff somewhere before, and I made and I I connected the work with the Doom stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think I was um, uh, like um, I'm I'm just not very I'm not I'm not very good at promoting myself, obviously, and I'm and I'm I'm basically not like a very adventurous kind of person you know like i'd rather sort of like stay at home and and make art all the time yeah and i I don't i don't want to have to deal with the whole front um front office kind of thing and um you know i'm I'm not i wasn't like you know i knew about alleged gallery you know that gallery in new Uh york that aaron rose or whatever was doing i think you know in the late 90s and um your phone is ringing you want me to wait for that phone to come off doesn't matter can you hear it yeah i can hear it pretty good it's a nice old black um, whatever it's called, rotary you use rotary phone. Yeah. On the wall. That's right. Does you um, still have that in the house? And so anyway, like, you know, I just, I wasn't, I was showing in San Francisco from like 95 on and I wasn't trying to, I was, I was, I was getting some recognition, you know, and, and, um, showing as much as I sort of was able or capable or interested in showing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't occur to me to try to branch out. This is all pre-internet. Yeah. So there's no like Instagram, there's no self-promotion that's going on. You know, I'm sending out slide sheets to the drawing center in New York or whatever. <laughs> if that. Yeah. Which um, is a that, time that I, I really romanticize on this podcast. Like a time, that time period just before the explosion of the internet, like in art, like especially in the Bay area it's a pretty rich time, you know? So I went to school in Oakland starting 1990 to 94. And there were some really, really strong artists there um, that I got a lot from. And there was sort of like a little posse of people who stayed late every night, you know, had like, you know, uh, you know, renegade bike races through the school, these sort of like fakey cyclocross races. And, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a really rich time for us. I felt like, and that was parallel to, you know, stuff that was happening in San Francisco. And, you know, I was living in Oakland, you'd come into the city and you'd see, um, you know, you'd see stuff happening out in the street, people painting stuff where there was like, you know, whoever it was. Yeah. And so Um, did you, did you get to school with the intention you went for art school when you got to Oakland? Did you leave Boston to go to Oakland? Yeah, I didn't really um, make it through high school very cleanly, um, <laughs> and so I was 19 um, when I really sort of like finished high school, if you could call it that. Yeah. And um, and I, and then I came to San Francisco, and I was sort of ready to to um, to to do something, you know, instead of being a degenerate. And um, since I started doing that kind of early. Um, and just trying to, you know, or like starting from 13 years old, I was just trying to, I think I was really angry and, and depressed, frankly. And I was just trying to get over in some way. Like I was just wanting to mess with the whole system of how things were. So like yeah. more, more interesting to me to cheat my way through high school than to actually do anything. So I never got like an education, proper education in high school. And so then I moved out, you know, I was just ready to move, move and knew about the Bay Area, had been here before and um, knew about the California College of Arts and Crafts and the San Francisco Art Institute and just felt like um, this is the thing I've done my whole life. And, you know, there's no real reason for me to not bank on it and and try to do something um, more with it. Yeah. And that that's just kind of what made the most sense to me. And. You know, I didn't have anybody telling me what I should do or shouldn't do at that time. Um, and so I moved out and checked out both schools and ended up going to um, that Oakland school, California College of Arts and Crafts, nice. which is now named without the crafts. <laughs> we we got to still stick up for the crafts. Crafts are important, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the printmaking department was a huge hub for um, all of the good kind of after hours, artistic and social activity, you know, there was a real, a real sense of, you know, there were some all right teachers there, but I've never, I could easily call myself t- self-taught 
because I, I was never very teachable. <laughs> yeah. What do you think that yeah. is? Do you, cause I, so I've been wondering this, like the idea that the, the creative types are, uh, you know, at, at best disobedient, you know, there's a, there's a questioning of rules. There is a questioning of like societal norms that come yeah. from the types of people who also create some type of art of some sort. And it sounds yeah. really pretentious to talk about it. And so I've been trying to figure out, are the two hand in hand or are the two just parallel lines of human behavior that happen to co- coexist in the same, in the same person? It just, it's so, it's such a commonality that it feels like there should be some connection between that idea of saying like, fuck the system like at an early age and having some anger and some depression. Well, I mean, at this point, at this point, that's just like a fucking trendy stylish thing to do is to say, fuck the system. So, you know, at this point it could just be like, you know, the motivation of internet stardom. Yeah. Sad to say. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad used to send me, um, newspaper clippings all the time when I was, um, in high school and college or, you know, that kind of era about connections between mental illness and creativity. <laughs> you know, like, oh, this scientific study shows that people who are bipolar are more tendent to be creative and are, you know, some of the most important artists in history were bipolar and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And like, I'm not exactly sure why he was sending those things to me, I think because <laughs> he was nuts and, um, and he wanted to understand the purpose or, or, you know, sort of this, have some sort of validation for the fact that, him being nuts wasn't a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm his son, you know, I, I inherited a lot from him for sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, on the other hand, I could say like society generally, you know, our culture in America, our educational system has been stripped of all creativity. So the, being a creative person, uh, is an inherently sort of antisocial or antisocially normative, right? Um, in that context, um, and and then you know my era of of kids, like kids who were born in the late '60s and early '70s, um, you know, we grew up in this latchkey. A lot of us, I feel like, grew up urban, suburban latchkey kids yeah. who just were off on our bicycles or our skateboards um, all the time with, with no supervision. And it was a, the beginning of the media generation of like the, whatever it is, the, you know, second, second, third generation of media saturated society. So we were all being raised on popular culture, you know, in such a way so that when I was first, you know, coming up 95 or something like that, and people would call my work pop art because it was cartoony. And that doesn't, to <laughs> me, you know, I'm not a fan of the whole pop surrealism label. I don't even really totally understand it, but, yeah. um, but you know, for me, I know that I always felt like I, I wrote in a drawing early on, like it's not pop culture, it's my culture. You know, for me, um, whatever it is, like, um, the whole sort of like blended together menagerie of popular and cartoon culture it has similar re- re- resonances to like growing up near a mountain. It's just part of the landscape and it's, it's part of what I, I regard as the, the landscape in which I grew up and yeah. which, you know, therefore is like where I want to set my stories. It's where setting my stories makes the most sense because it's what I know. Right. That's um, something- the same way. I mean, even, you know, I went to school in New Hampshire for a little bit and spent time in the woods and, that's where a lot of my woodsy kind of scenes come from is my direct experience of, of cruising around in, in these forests there. Right. It's, um, it's something I, I, I wanted to get into. Like, uh, you, I, I've heard you mention about storytelling and an interest in writers. And this is kind of another common theme that's been happening in the show. Something that I, I maybe, I, I personalize everything and just say it's a common theme in the show. It's just all my own personal right. problems. But so I've been, I've been facing this issue of uh, being able to get a story across through the visual medium of painting, and I've noticed that I've had a really difficult time. Now, 
for you, I know that you you commonly will use text in in some of the stuff you do. And I guess I guess we should uh, if we could describe maybe your work a little bit before maybe for people who haven't seen your stuff. I you know what I wrote down? I wrote down that your work reminds me of cutting up um like a comic strip, like tons of comic strips. Like uh I I was thinking of William S. Burroughs how he would take text and cut a bunch of text up and rearrange the text to make uh a different story. I kind of see yeah. that in the work that you do. It feels like, um, and it's funny that you had mentioned about being like 99% in your head. I had a very um, sort of like overworked mind. I, I wrote down the word schizophrenic, not in like the disease way, but like in like as a way to be kind of uh, descriptive and, uh, and cloud theory. So like I like the idea that for me I look at your work and it looks like a lot of it starts from abstraction and becomes formed into um a figurative landscape that like I described it feels like a comic that's cut up into a million pieces then glued back together in a new form to create uh sometimes a more chaotic scene. Um yeah. That's my interpretation how I feel looking at the work. And of course, you know, this for specific types of work that you do, I guess, from what I've seen. And I feel like you, you're you're uh, incredibly prolific. You make a, a lot of work. You're working every day, right? Uh, yeah. I certainly draw every day. It doesn't. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like on a the back of a receipt somewhere or in some pocket sketchbook. Yeah. Um, and you know, as I grow up, there's opportunities for me not to draw on any given day just because I'm working in my front office or teaching or, or, you know, with my family or whatever, I've got a couple daughters. Um, so there's a lot more responsibilities, which take me away from that, that opportunity to draw every day. But, um, but yeah, you know, I I mean, my dad, my dad was a figure painter. Um, and so I kind of come from that tradition. And I, I'm, I think on some basic core level, um, I'm a figure painter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on another core level, um, I'm interested in stories and Uh-oh. did we lose you? I think we lost you. First work that I really wanted to emulate um, you know, I think that, well, the thing that I really am, am interested in is because I'm so fascinated with stories myself, whether it be literature, comic books, movies, music, um, possibly poetry or something else, but primarily those things, uh, those are the things that I, you know, I love being captivated by a story. Yeah. It's one of my favorite all-time experiences, and it always has been as a kid. I read a lot. I was interested in movies a lot. I read a shit ton of comic books, um, and I just consumed a lot of – I watched a lot of TV. You know, there was all – cable TV was all over the place when I was growing up, uh-huh. and that's kind of what I want to contribute to. I want to I contribute to that, 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 um, that cultural sphere of the potential of these stories – um, that have some sort of feeling in them, uh, that have some sort of emotional energy yeah. that by the strength of that emotional energy that was, that was created in the making of the thing, other people can feel something too. Uh, and so all I know as a maker is if I can make something that moves me. Um, and that's, that's what I'm, I'm going for. I'm going for like having a real emotional experience when I make something. Uh, and that's how, that's like a litmus. That's how I know that what I'm doing isn't bullshit. Yeah. Um, and if I draw something and I draw, I paint it, you know, paint a drawing, let's say, um, in a single color. Um, sometimes I might feel or any old way I paint it, I might have this reaction of feeling like, ah, it's just, it feels plastic. It feels like an illustration. It feels contrived. Uh-huh. And, and that's, that's when I know I need to screw it up and transform it into something else. Sure. Um, and you know, if I, if I'm too invested, if I care too much, I'm holding on too tight. Those are all conditions for things to not sort of flow and, and have something come out of me that I don't know how to get on command. Um, and that's, 
that's sort of what I'm looking for. I'm looking to make things that I didn't know I was going to make. I'm looking to make things that sort of surprise me or, or in otherwise, um, can, or can be something that, that spark my imagination that I yeah, can kind sure. of be- believe in. I explain that sometimes as I tell people that like when people start to ask questions about like, Oh, why do you do that? Or why is this that way? I explain it as the painting, painting itself that just like working as a conduit in like, I'm just like the, uh, just the middleman between the painting being made. And I don't know what's on the other side of that. And I'm not trying to claim any like sort of like supernatural behavior. I'm just saying no, no. that it's almost as I, and I say the same thing about cooking. It's funny. Like if, if a dish needs something orange, I could tell that it need like it needs a flavor. And sometimes that flavor matches a color and the dish will tell you that it needs a certain color or flavor. But, mm. and I, I find the same thing with painting. Like, uh, a lot of times it'll it will need a blue. I won't say in my head consciously uh, this should be blue here. It's it's almost as if the work itself is doing that, and it's sort of like a, an easy way to try to describe that mentality. But I like that. I, it seems like your work has um, a free flow to it, uh, and not in. I think that can be de- misinterpreted as um, sloppy sometimes when people say that. But I, I feel like there's a uh, a naturalness. It's hard to it's 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 so hard to describe painting in the visual term. But like, uh, there seems to be. I like the idea that you said that you destroy things, and I I think there's a layering effect that, that's in your work that has a tendency to do that. Do you uh, do you ever get destructive physically with the work besides like painting over it? So I like to scrape paintings with like a hard like a 60 grit sandpaper, especially, and I'll, I'll let out a trick right now, like a little secret, the parts that don't work, like if a hand isn't working or something doesn't work, it's perfect to just run like a little buff mark with like a little like scratch or just like a scrape of paint over something like that. It always looks cool and it, it kind of helps when you have a part that's giving you trouble, but that's just my little secret. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I make, I make kind of a, few different types of things, I guess it sort of changes over the years. Um, but primarily what I decided on or what I found is that the, you know, I, my whole, my whole practice, I guess, is developed out of the margin notebook doodles that I would do compulsively. Yeah. And that's what, when I was 20 years old or something like that, 21, I, that's what I, I recognized was that those freeform, improvised, stop-start doodles that I, I sort of engaged in like sometimes like weeks-long conversation with by yeah. going away from and coming back to, those were the things that I was, that had the most juice for me that that had the most creativity and expression and freedom and and uh ability to um fascinate me um i could look at them i wanted to look at them um again and again yeah. and so i just i started doing that in the oil paint realm um and sculpture realm um around around that time around like 93 94 um and the 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 stuff at that time that was kind of important to me was these um independent comics that were being made by people like Julie Doucet and Chris Ware and Dan Klaus and um really significantly Chester Brown. Right. Um and and those were people whose whose writing really fascinated me, but um as well as their their you know, their, their ability to draw was really beautiful and poetic to me. Um, and, and the way that they told stories. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I personally kind of come out of, but I basically, when I would go to try to make a comic, I would, I would, I never really had the discipline to kind of get over that hump of, Oh, what do I do with a blank page? How do I plan out a whole page? How do I plan out a whole story? How do I make a story that is profound and meaningful and personal and emotional and has social commentary and, you know, makes sense and has an arc 
and and has this you know clear ending or some something <laughs> like that. Yeah, you know, I, I was completely stymied by that. So um, I I just um, subsumed all of that desire to be a comic artist and um, you know found that these like doodles that I were do- I was doing. I looked at them and I was like, well, you know, they're actually random. There's, there's actually really, I even, I would might draw panels on my notebook pages. You know, I draw little panels, but I wouldn't have them be sequential per se. You know, it could be drawing of a guy's foot. And then the next one could be a drawing of a car. And <laughs> yeah. And there was no, you know, clear, um, moment to moment chronology or sequence. Do you think that but gets was, back? To but the... I was still really interested in that. Do you think that I, gets I like back? Recognize that? Oh, this random stuff. Actually, maybe I don't have to have it all make sense. Maybe it can be this kind of more collection of things. And I felt really insignificant and kind of like oh, I'm being stupid and arbitrary. And and why can't you be more meaningful, you stupid idiot? <laughs> um, and you know why aren't you as good as the things that you want to be yeah. like? And and all those experiences. And then now when I look back, I think like no, that was some of the best stuff I made. And there was nothing arbitrary about it. It was almost more purely autobiographical than than other things. Yeah. Um, and it also had this kind of like raw urgency in terms of the way that I handled paint. Um, so I, I look back actually on kind of like my earliest desires for how to draw things um, and try to go back to that as much as possible. Because um, my hands have gotten more sophisticated in some respects. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I don't, that, I don't, I don't necessarily always appreciate that kind of refinement yeah. in the, in the artistic process. I was curious um, if, if the idea of earlier, like the, uh, the sort of defiance against authority plays out in, uh, a sort of future, um, in this case, it seems like an inability to, uh, pan out a big plan. Like, like, so for instance, with writing, I just took on writing for the first time. Like I'm actually writing a a short uh, screenplay and the idea of starting something with an idea of exactly how it's going to end is very daunting in this idea of having a painting paint itself, a sort of natural flow, uh, uh, sort of a move away from a dictation of how things are meant to be and sort of having like that Zen idea of letting them be what they are. Uh, I'm curious if that sort of co-plays with the early defiance, the early sort of antagonistic way that creative types um, avoid normal types of society. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, like I think, you know, in this generation, I'm not totally, I'm, you know, I'm kind of pessimistic and skeptical, cynical, all that stuff. So, you know, I'm not really clear on this generation now if if being iconoclastic isn't just kind of like a, a style style sheet um, and isn't just sort of like a mode for self-promotion. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then um, uh, on the other hand, too, I, what I wanted to think about was or what I want to talk about was once you make that acceptance, right, you're like, this is what I make and this is how I'm going to do things. Is there a need to get other people to accept it as well? Do you know what I mean? So like you can you can say that you're going to make everything from a, like a pure standpoint, but as a working artist, somebody who needs to sell things and obviously having uh which we all go through the insecurities of how the next person's better than me and like I'm not what I'm supposed to be. Do do you have any struggles with that in, in sticking to the, uh, the, the path of, all right, I'm going to do exactly what it is that I want to do? Or are there outside influences that come into it in, in the decision-making process? Because for me, it, from an outside perspective, it looks like you do what you want to do. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. You could probably just answer, period, yes. Just yes. <laughs> answer yeah. yes. Yeah, I... I, I'm a big fan of, um, of idiosyncrasy in artists. Um, and, uh, I guess I have this, you know, I've had this kind of belief or desire for 
artists who are who are going deep into themselves. You know, I, I feel like what people have really to give as artists is themselves, some sort of genuine genuineness about themselves. That's sort of like what people really have to give. Yeah. Um, I actually just read part of an interview with Marcel Duchamp recently. Um, and, uh, and he was said something like, you know, we really only have very few good ideas. Um, and, uh, I forget why I was saying that. Um, what were we talking about there? Uh, yeah, you're going to stump me too. That's what's so funny about these <laughs> things. It's so great. Like, and, and it's only, oh, I know it was, it was, it's about that. Like, um, uh, well, anyway, I, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, people have very few good ideas. I was saying that because, you know, what people have to give of themselves is not like some brilliant insight to the world. I don't, you know, I think some people have that and most people don't, but what you, everyone has to give is, is sort of this like raw glimpse of who they really are. That's actually a really powerful commodity to me. Uh, and I'm interested in that in people and people being really like real and open and vulnerable, um, with their artistic explorations. And each person is sort of like an expert on themselves and they're the only expert on themselves. Uh, and it's the only thing that everyone is actually an expert on. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like most people aren't an expert on botany you know, or, you know, you know, astrophysics or, or, or comics, you know, most people just aren't. Um, but you are an expert on sort of this like fractious ADD, you know, whatever it is, little version of yourself, of your world. And that, that there's a lot of content in there. That's, that's important. Um, so anyway, like, you know, there's, I, there's artists like, um, you know, somebody like, um, Somebody like Bruce Connor, I guess, is an artist I hold up a lot. Um, you know, I think Philip Gust is an artist like this too. Someone who's who's really looking deep inside themselves and is not in conversation with anyone else besides themselves. Yeah. Do you think that's um, like an acceptance? Is it like an ex an acceptance of self, or do you see it more as like an it's examination a path towards the deepest and richest and most complex experience possible? You know, because if you're, I don't, for a long time, late, lately I've been making, I've been sort of trying to appeal to more of like the populist side of myself, which is sort of this like new, like I'm over 40, um, you know, looking back on myself tw from 20 years previous and trying to regrind through or reassess my own sort of like core motivations or something like that. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm making these new oil paintings that are sort of like, um, sort of like, um, m you know, taking a slice through some of my own personal iconography that goes back 20, 30 years. Um, and it, I see it as being an appeal to a more populist side of myself, but in relation to myself, not like populist, like I'm trying to appeal to a large group of people, Yeah. just sort of like a more populist version of myself. Whereas... Previous, there's, I'm also making work at the same time. You know, I, I work on lots of things at once. Um, on paper, especially oil paintings tend to be more singular. Sculpture tends to be a little more singular. But when I'm working on paper, I'll have layers of like five or six sheets of paper on a, on a table at the same time. And I might run paint across all six simultaneously just so I get a bunch of mistake marks all over it. Yeah. And I want things to kind of kick around for a long time. And I'm pleased when things accrue paint like, like um page on a enlargement or reduction um or you know notes from song lyrics or things i hear on the radio or test brush marks or overpainting from pieces of paper that are on top so that these these pages in my studio of different sizes they kind of gain their own history just by sitting around in my studio yeah yeah collecting dust and 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 then they're they're kind of like a they're kind of like a you know they're a wall that has its own history that I've walked by you know every day for the last six months and every time I walk by this wall you know I doodle some other little naked lady character on it or like <laughs> you know some random like 
you know, paintbrush mark on it. And, and over time, it, it really speaks to me of that, that duration of time, that lived experience. Um, and so it's kind of encoded, encoded with that for me. And, and I, I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, it's something I mean, to that... get back to, you know, you were saying something earlier about like describing what I do and the layeredness and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, whether it's like loose or structured kind of thing. And I think it's important for me to say that, um, you know, this is kind of a common thing I'll say that, you know, my work is largely based on improvisation. Um, and now that I'm in my 20th or 30th year painting regularly, daily or whatever, um, I don't have to work with strictly improvisation as much as I used to. It's not like a basic necessity for me to make something that's, that has freshness yeah. and lack of contrivance. But in the past, for me to really get something that was new and wasn't contrived, I had to kind of strike out every time in a new way. It's almost like training really myself. And so I, the way I, I relate it is, is like disciplined improvisation, which is what jazz is. You know, these jazz musicians, they're, they're some of um, our cultural legacies, um, highest craftspeople, most intelligent, most sophisticated, um, conceptually sophisticated. Uh, you know, they have the highest chops and, and yet, and what they're doing is based on improvisation on creating a form without any a priori notion of, of what that form is going to be. And so it's highly disciplined, but it's also highly free. I read this great study recently that, that, um, they put jazz musicians in a functional MRI that's taking real time images of the brain and have these jazz musicians improvise. I don't know in what way, you know, didn't put a piano in there or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and they found that, that what these musicians were doing is they were shutting down this part of their prefrontal cortex that controls inhibition. Huh. So they were de-inhibiting themselves in order to improvise. You know, they were, which I think is also like the part of the brain that, that inhibits you from like, you know, going against societal norms. You know, this, our inhibitions keep us from, you know, harming, doing things that are against the social code. Yeah. So it's, you know, craziness and, and artistry, you know, uh, certainly have a long history together. Drug addiction, all that kind of stuff, or, or you know, whatever it is, drug experiences. Yeah, sexual um, addictions and all those sorts of things seem to probably fall into that same sort of... Neuroses and compuls compulsivity in general, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's where I kind of like gained, you know, I, sort of the foundation of my work is this disciplined improvisation. And my work sort of started as this thing, you know, this, like I was saying, this sketchbook thing where I might start like a drawing in pencil one day and I might immediately hate what I'm doing and <laughs> yeah. have this sort of like pervasive self-loathing. Yeah. And so I'll abandon it. But the next day I come back to it with ballpoint pen and take that mechanical pencil drawing and change the material and add to it. And all of a sudden, like it's doing something that I can believe in. Yeah. And, and then also, so that going away and coming back, I have these fresh, spontaneous in the moment, not overthought reactions to things that allows me to keep a more in de inhibited thread running even though I'm so highly anxious and, and inhibited and repressed. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, and so I'm optimizing, I've been optimizing, practicing, how can I be free? Like, how can I make myself free? And that's why for me, art has been in this coping mechanism is because that's what I'm, that's what I need the most. That's my medicine is to be free. Yeah. Cause I'm that, I'm that hurting, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I can't, I can't make it happen any other way. And so I'm, I've been, I feel like in some respects, you know, making gold out of dirt. Like I've been taking a situation of failure and making something really positive about it. I don't know. My, my wife was talking about a book on AD and AD, ADHD, uh -huh. where it's talking about the ADHD brain as being a benefit, like to think about it as a benefit. Like how can you, you, you know, you're special to have this kind of brain that functions in these um, lateral pathways or nonlinear pathways and how can you kind of invest in it and optimize it rather than, um, you know, norm normalize it and, and, you know, medicate, medicate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the, the, the ultimate <laughs> ending.
Man, I think um, that that's a good spot to uh, to end this thing on. We got a we got almost a forty five minutes here, almost fifty minutes. Okay, cool. Goes by fast, right? Yeah. 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 Well, um, what do you got coming up? I know you just had a show just recently, right? Just had a a big painting show. Yeah, I just had a, a uh, my I guess like biggest show um, in the in the states in in a number of years, and, and um, I think the last big show I had in um, uh, in the around in San Francisco or in the United States, I guess, was two thousand eight. So it's been a little while, um, and it was here at Gallery sixteen in San Francisco, which is a gallery I've known for close to 20 years and, um, but shown with for the first time now. Oh, rad. Um, and I've got a few little books out recently. One with the thing quarterly is uh, this book. Um, and also comes as a book bag combination. Like this tote bag is like the dust jacket on the book. So uh-huh. it, it is part of the cover story and car- part of how the story coalesces visually. Nice. That's cool. Um, and it's a narrative piece. Um, and then a, a little book um, that came out in McSweeney's Quarterly just got printed um, or bound as a standalone little booklet called Topsy Turvy. I made a little book last year with Archetype out of Los Angeles, um, spelled like Archetip. Yeah, I love uh, those guys. Those guys are the shit. Yeah, they're really good. Um, and they've, they've been involved in great things for a long time. Um, so that was a little book that we made that's called If You Knew What I Know, It Would Be Strange. <laughs> kind of appropriate after this conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and yeah, and then I'm, I'm about to start working on a, uh, a cover for a piece in Juxtapose. Hey, nice. Um, and that's about it. I'm looking for representation. Um, I, you know, I've had representation in lots of different places around the country and, and outside of the country. And um, right now, I uh, just have this one spot in San Francisco. And so I'm, I'm looking for some good, proper representation. Nice. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. plus years later. All right, my friend. I want to um, thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. It was uh, a pleasure to get to know you a little bit. Um, totally. the man behind the work I'm going to be in San Francisco in June I have a show coming up if you want to get together and have a drink or a great. coffee or whatever be great yeah that sounds good where's your show at? Um, I'm showing at Nowheresville Gallery it's uh, oh, the space that Paul Urich runs yeah that's awesome yeah I'm excited I, uh, I got all the work done I just got to frame everything up and uh, bring it to the bay I, I'm in a similar boat it's been I think since 2008 or nine, since the last time I showed in the city, I have uh-huh. a very prodigal son kind of feeling about going back. Uh huh. So I feel good about it. Um, Paul was, has been showing my friend Steve Smith, um, otherwise known as Steve Knievel. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that he was one of the the guys that I was in school with um, in Oakland back, like you know, 1993, 92. Uh huh. Um. And uh, so, yeah, I was really stoked to see him put his stuff up out there. Rad. Yeah, Paul's Paul's good people, man. I, I've, I've known him for God, over a decade now, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to show at his space and come hang out for a week and eat burritos at uh, <laughs> Pancho Villa's all, all week. Cool, man. Well, yeah, definitely. Let's get in touch when you do. Yeah, for sure. Let's, um, let's plug your website. Uh, can you spell out your name for us since it's... Uh, yeah, well, my first name is Jason, just spelled like Jason is yeah. normally spelled. And then my last name is Yeagle, spelled like bagel, but with a J instead of a B. So, How many times have you said that? And it's pronounced like bagel with a yay. <laughs> That's great, man. And uh, uh, so you're, on the, you're on the Instagrams and the, uh, the Twitters? Yeah, I got an Instagram that's just my last name, J-A-G-E-L. Um, and that's about all I do. That's that's sort of my speed is being able to throw up an image, and yeah. and I, I like looking at that stuff as far as uh, seeing what other people are up to and and you know keeping some sort of sociability within my confined cave-like realms. <laughs> nice. All right, man. Let's do internet dap and call this thing done. If you know what I mean. Cool, oh, man. Bam. Nice. All right. Thanks, Pleasure. brother. 
Take care. Yeah, talk to you. Ciao. Hey, hold on, hold on. Let's get a let me get a uh, screenshot for the Instagrams and the internets to prove that this was actually a thing. All right, one, two, three. All right, thanks, brother. Have a great day. Okay, ciao. Later.